Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel and this is One on One, Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Rabinit Shani Terrigan is a senior lecturer at Matan and the educational director of the Bellows Eshkola Educators Institute for Tanakh and Jewish Studies at Matan's Jerusalem branch. She is also the educational director of the Marotha Lacha program in Matan Ranana. Shani, thank you so much for being here with me. It is an extreme honor to be here, to be able to converse and to share, share words of, of Torah wisdom with you. And may I already say that it's an, a special schut, Yosefa, with you, because we go way back, Baruch Hashem, to various learning programs, both in, in the Mosheba Beit Midrash program, and now it is a schut to not only re- speak with you as a Talmidah, but a Talmidah Chavira, a real colleague in Torah. So okay, thank you. I really, really appreciate it. And it's, it's just a, it's a great joy to be able to speak with people who I both uh, look up to as a, as a model and also I'm able to speak with as a colleague. It's really a uh, special schut. So thank you so much. I want to, I want to go backwards. I want to go backwards to wherever you want to take us and ask you how you started on the path of learning Torah or loving Torah um, and then eventually teaching Torah. Where, where did that start for you? I think that if you said you're okay with going all the way back, then it really does go all the way back as as early as I can remember. I must say, I I loved love learning Torah, and Baruch Hashem had phenomenal role models in my life. I remember waking up at a very young age, always seeing my father engrossed in Dafyomi, my mother from. The time that she was very young, who always learned Rashi with her father, Allah Shalom, and instilled that love and divrei Torah around the Shabbos table. My parents always would go around on one of eight children, Bliay and Hara, and they would always say, right, both uh, the boys, the girls uh, in the family, okay, what, what's our Torah do you have to share? And uh, I think a large part of it was also that Torah learning was not something exclusive to to school, nor even just to the home. Every Shabbat, our shul also had owner groups, as many, many Batei Knesset have. But in our shul, we had learning groups and owner groups. So it was also just understood. You learn Torah during the week, you learn Torah at home, you learn Torah on Shabbat. And that very much instilled me with a, a love of learning. Also, just watching my parents, my siblings, you know, with, with books all the time and sparring. I remember Shabbos afternoons, I would, from, a, again, fourth grade, fifth grade, I cuddle up on the couch with the little, at that point, it wasn't even the little madrasas. It was the madrasas. <laughs> and um, that continued definitely through uh, through camps also. I went to Camp Marasha where Shi'ur was two hours a day. I don't know, you know, any other camp where, where they have that. You, you uh, learn Torah and Baruch Hashem exposed to phenomenal mechanachim from a very young age. And I think the teaching component also began at an early age, both with regard to Divrei Torah around the Shabbos table. And then uh, in high school, starting a Parsha press and giving a Divrei Torah and then becoming one of these you know, learning, learning counselors in the youth groups on Shabbat. And I'd say a major turning point came when after the summer in Israel, at that point, Rabbi Abi Warhaftik, the director of Marasha, asked me, he said, would you come back? At that point, there was a Mahon program. And I said, I really wanted to vote. You know, I want, I want time to learn. He said, well, then why not start a summer program? 
for girls to learn. And that's exactly, exactly what we did. And I had the opportunity within that program, not only of teaching, you know, all the time it was either teaching my peers or teaching younger children. This time it was teaching other, other girls, other young women who had wanted to learn for the summer. So these were very seriously minded young women who came for, for two months to devote their mornings to Torah study. So in addition to phenomenal, phenomenal Mechanchem, Rabbi Billet, Rabbi Harari, Rabbi Berman, I, I also had the opportunity to teach them and realize, wow, I just love sharing Torah. And that, that continued certainly the uh, the next summer thereafter and uh, various learning programs since you just so that when i came to israel though? for the year is this in the 90s or yes yes time? oh thank you this is in the 80s okay. <laughs> this is in 1989 was the summer program the first summer program then 1990 i am i am three years old <laughs> <laughs> And I am 16, Makes 15, sense. 16. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then my year in Eretz Israel. So we'll fast forward a little. Those were really the first opportunities to teach Torah, I guess, on a higher level. And at the same time, I was also, in addition to loving, loving Torah, I love learning many, many subjects. And I guess I also have a passion for, for the sciences. And I kept on deliberating. I knew, you know, at that point, I had gone early admissions to Stern College, was majoring in biology and English literature and philosophy and Jewish studies. I said, this is the way that I wanted to live my life. I had four majors. At that point, you were allowed to do that. I had, it was actually a triple major and a minor in philosophy. And the, um, the, the, Again, being involved in Stern and the newspaper and the Torah Activities Committee, so that also provided many different opportunities for for teaching on a more college age level now, and was deliberating back and forth, pursuing medicine, pursuing chinuch. I went to Israel for the year, still undecided in terms of career choice, and realized that my life is really just I not only you know, passionate about Torah, Torah learning, and not just about Torah living, but about Torah teaching. And I remember my father, the physician, telling me that you could be a good good doctor and a good teacher. And you know, I had this whole plan. I was going to go to Einstein, and I was going to give Shirim and Torah on a high level <laughs> during the week. And he would smile, and he would say, okay, but realize that if you really want to excel at something, you have to focus on it. And the question was, what was going to be my focus? And I think in Eretz Yisrael, seeing phenomenal role models in Torah, seeing that there is a way of really incorporating so many different aspects of, of learning, of knowledge in Torah, and thank God having opportunities to, to both learn and teach. So already Sunday mornings, my year in Israel, I was in Mechlala, and they did not have classes Sunday morning. Second semester, there was a pedagogy program. So together with a very good friend of mine, Dasi Billet, mm-hmm. we now Dasi Jacobson, we went to, to Matan to uh, Dr. Brian Levy's class and Dr. Aviva Gottlieb Zornberg's class. And um, that was my first exposure to Matan so that the next year when I was married and my husband and I were learning in Eretz Israel, I was learning at Matan in their advanced Talmud program. 
And it was really Rabbanit Bina, I must say, who gave me also wonderful opportunities. They had just started an Ethiopian program, so she provided me with opportunities to teach them. And one of my chabrutot, one of my colleagues in the advanced Talmud program in, in Matan, was Rabbanit Oshra Koren, who was going on Chavshat Leida and was an Aim Bayit and a teacher in Machon Gold. And she asked if I would substitute during her Chavshat Leida. So at that point, it was for both Shana Aleph, Shana Bet, and uh, sorry, Shana Aleph students. And I did that for three months. And the director of Mahongold at the time, Mrs. Shani Solo, who I'm very proud and honored to call not only an, a wonderful mentor, and now she's also a student colleague in the Matan classes. Uh-huh. So she asked if I would come to teach the following year. So I was still pursuing my bachelor's degree at that point, continuing in Barilan. And I taught that year both Shana Aleph and Shana Bet students. And the Shana Bet students didn't realize that I was only a few months older than they were. Wait, and were you? So that was my first official. Were you studying when Hama was in Matan in the Talmud program? So... So Nahama Barish, okay. yes, was in uh, Matan. She made Aliyah in 1991. I I was here the year of 92. We were actually, this is funny, She we remember this. We now teach together in TBA and, and in Matan. And when she was a senior in Stern, I was an early admissions freshman in Stern. And there was a small Beit Midrash on the second floor. And my dorm room was on the second floor. So every night, late at night, I would go to the Beit Midrash, and there were only a few women there who would take advantage of the learning. And she she was there. That's where I first met her. And she had a chavruta every night with someone named Yael Zeiger at the time, who <laughs> was currently Yael Ziegler. There are a lot of worlds so colliding in So we actually, story. the three of us, there are times that I want to go back to that and say, wow, you know, if only we would know, you know, where we would all be together in uh, a few oh. years, you know, little did mm-hmm. we know, but late nights, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, that was our, our first meetings one with the other. And, um, and yes. Wow. So for you, there was a very clearly throughout your childhood learning was a theme, both in your family and just in what you would be doing on a regular basis, but the teaching came in at a very young age as well from, from what I'm understanding. And uh, I think I realize exactly that I, I loved just sharing words of Torah, you know, it just came, came naturally. There was never a decision. I'm going to be a teacher. It was, oh, you have some words of Torah to share? Let's share those words. And I think part of the, the beauty and part of the, the excitement in teaching comes when you see that when you're excited about what you're sharing, when it's meaningful for you, and then you see other people's faces light up, that was it. For me, I said, this is, you know, you can figure out your shlichot earlier on in life when you see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know, wants you to do something. So you already mentioned a few names in that uh, abridged version of Shani Terrigan's history um, regarding role models. Who, who, were, who were some of those role models that you really today still think about um, as having been part of your, your earlier journey or maybe even still of your journey now? Excellent question. So definitely my parents, both of them. Um, you know, I look at my siblings and 
Firstly, we each joke that we all felt, you know, each and every one of us as if we were the only child, the most favored child, because Baruch Hashem, they really invested in each one of us. And I had a chavuta, both with my father and my mother from a very young age. And uh, that's definitely what inspired me to do the same with my children. So my parents. Well, I just want to Anna, comment that that was very unusual. No, was that not unusual among very, very, very? But I didn't know, I know that. that. That's really <laughs> very, matter very fact, special. I mean, we happen to have grown up yes. not in the same decade, but relatively close to one another. Um, and that that was unusual, and that's very, very, uh, very special yes. gift they that they gave you. Yes, yes. So with my mother, it was less formal. It was, you know, our homework together every night, and she would be excited just, you know, learning with us. And I, I hear even from students today that they send their children, especially in Eretz Israel, to schools, and they don't feel that they're qualified to, to sit and help them with their homework. And I look back and realize, well, my mother was, you know, extremely qualified. And that's why really women today should, should recognize Baruch Hashem through their children, that it's so important to continue with our own education and, and edification and Jewish sources and skills. So uh, my father, who again was busy all day, would make time every night to learn with each and every one of us. And I remember he would learn, uh, you know, I guess my brother started learning Gemara in fifth grade. So in fifth grade, he would start learning Gemara with him. And you know, I was learning Chumash with him. And then when I was in fifth grade, um, he, I said, okay, so now it's time for me to learn Gemara. And I remember he looked at me, he said, would you like to learn Gemara? And I said, yes. And I didn't think that it was a question, meaning I thought that's what you do. You get to fifth grade and you learn Gemara <laughs> with daddy. And so um, that was my my first Gemara, Chabruta. It was with my father. So definitely my parents. I also give a tremendous amount of credit to my elementary school principal, definitely teachers. I had a phenomenal teacher. She's actually here. And she uh, teaches in uh, Harnoff and different seminaries as well. Mrs. Esther Shurin, a real, a tremendous role model, taught me not only Sefer Shmot Bi'yun and again, different stories that I'll, I'll never forget. She truly expressed what it meant to uh, to live what you're learning, a real Torah Chayim with tremendous Sniyut Anava. And my elementary school principal, Rabbi Freeman, uh, who I now have the schut of living with his children here in Alon Shput. He was a Holocaust survivor and walked around with such a sense of dignity and pride in both of the students of, this was Hebrew Academy of Long Beach, Yeshivat Lev, and making sure that we would walk up walk around with pride, with the schut of learning Torah. It wasn't just discipline that was you know, significant. It was if you were walking slouched over in the hallway, he would comment. If there was, you know, if you dropped something in the hallway, it was the cleanliness and the decorum and the respect for Talmud Torah. And he was insistent on Ivrit be Ivrit and Tfilah, you know, with, uh, with Kavana. And when you have role models who literally day in, day out, you walk and you say, look, look at this person who in the face of adversity, you know, comes and you know, is able to to see the future and build the future. And he really did. Anyone who went to to Yeshivat Lev, again, can say that Rabbi Freeman was a real role model and someone that, again, I think of actually very often in high school. I had oh, just too many teachers to mention as role models from, again, Rabbi Tachtel, who 
introduced me to the world of Tanya and Hasidut, and I'm Mrs. Aryeh for Navi, Rabbi Rubel, Rabbi A, the famous Rabbi Eliezer for Chumash, who really exposed me to uh, the methodologies of Nechama Leibowitz and Parshanut Bi'iyun. Um, and I'm my, uh, my principals and assistant principal, Rabbi Safran, Mrs. Esther Krauss. And it was really just as you said, it was almost... Um, I would say Muvan Me'ilav in a time that it wasn't really so understood that, of course, women are going to strive for the highest levels of Torah learning. And I had, I, I look back now, and now that you're asking and realize that I was exposed to the real leaders of the time, not realizing that they're the exceptions to the rules. So in my mind, they were the rule. And, and, and I'll add from an outsider that you were also relatively an exception, meaning I'm sure so, that there were women who. I guess I didn't notice no, that. No, that's, it's okay. We're not. We're not supposed to notice that. But I meaning you also were unbelievably fertile ground, and I'm sure you were every teacher's dream. It's an unbelievable. I don't know if I can remember the teachers who taught me in middle school. I guess I have to say there was one teacher in particular in high school, Miss um, Copin, she's now Mrs. Wolf, and I remember she had gone to Barilan for a year. And she she would teach. She taught Navi. I actually learned Sefer Eo from her, and um, and some of the uh, the Megillot as well. And she taught with such a passion, and in Hebrew. And she exposed me to what Milim Manchot. Again, this is when it was really first becoming a phenomenon of textual analysis, wow. even in in Eretz Yisrael, yeah. and sensitivity to words and structure. Meaning, I knew chiasm, you know, before coming to to Eretz Yisrael, and and to this day, I give her a tremendous amount of credit. I remember when I deliberated, once uh, we decided that we were going to make Aliyah, and I was going to finish my degree in Eretz Yisrael, it was clear, oh, I'm going to learn Tanakh, of course, I'm going to learn in Barilan, because that's where Miss Gopin had learned, and I want to be able to instill my students with both the the love and the skills that she gave me, and Baruch Hashem, we really remained in touch every time I've gone back to, to Central, to Yeshiva University High School for Girls, to be able to see these teachers, and now engage with them also as colleagues and and mentors in many areas. So a, a very special school in Stern College. Also phenomenal role models. There was more, I would say, learning, you know, the history. Rabbi Kanerfogel, Rabbi Khan, I had the school of learning with uh, Rabbi Dr. Chaim Salavechik. And uh, it was coming to Eretz Yisrael and seeing for the first time how many of the names that I had heard, whether it was, you know, Professor Nechama Leibowitz, and even though I didn't have the schot to really learn with her, still to be able to go to Shirim and have living role models. I remember when I was 14 years old, my father took me to Young Israel of Woodmere to hear Rabbi Rav Lichtenstein. And I had read some of his articles and who's speaking about supererogatory law, Lifnim Mishura Tadin. And I don't think I understood about 60% of the, uh, the vocabulary words that he said, but here was a a rub that I had heard about that I that I saw, you know, my father respecting as well. And Baruch Hashem, my parents have tremendous, tremendous respect for, for rabbinic leaders. And I think that that's also what just instilled me from a very young age with a sense of respecting teachers, respecting role models in Torah learning. And I remember walking out thinking, wow, here's someone who is able to bridge the world of philosophy and English literature, and he lives in Eretz Yisrael. And uh, very often I I think of even the, the reasons why I decided to come and 
to live here and to move here and, you know, not go back to Chutz Laaretz. And a lot of it was through seeing places like Yeshivat Haritzion, communities, places of Torah learning, opportunities for Torah learning for women that really started here in Eretz Israel, and saying that it's not just a hypothetical idea or, you know, an ideal that's spoken about, but is lived and how people integrate Torah in every aspect of their lives. So definitely Rav Lechtenstein. You know, and you know that, I think about him very second, often. That, that story that you just shared about hearing him in shul reminded me in, in a somewhat painful way of the experience of, of meeting the presence of someone that it's not necessarily at all about what it is that they actually said most of the time we don't remember. That's actually a Nechama line exactly. that students will remember, I think, <laughs> 10% of what you actually teach them. But what they what remains with them is the experience of what it meant to learn with you. And that I, I felt that just now as you told that story of that coming into a room that sort of yeah. just like filled with the presence of of a of a really unbelievable human being of a great person and yes. i'm remembering yes. also how much that's lacking in our lives right now um that correct. that correct. feeling As of, I say of that. seeing people and feeling their energy and feeling the the aura that they bring with them is something that i pray that we will as soon as possible go back to being able to experience but that moment of you're reminding me of what it means to feel someone's presence and how it's been so long yes. since since I felt that. That's right. Even as I said it, I was thinking I, I miss Rav Lachensin so much and I think about him so much. You know, what would he say? What would, you know, what, what would he answer? How would he act in this situation? And as I was thinking about him, I was thinking also, just as you said, that aura and excitement of of meeting meeting Rabbi Sachs for the first time in London, you know, speaking speaking together with him, meeting Rabbi Tversky, meeting Rabbi Novich, meeting Rav Henkin, being tested by Rav Henkin for the Yototalacha program, meaning really Chaval al-Da'avdin. We were missing so much, so much. And I think that also what this time period has taught us is definitely take advantage of the role models that we have. So Baruch Hashem, that I was very inspired also through Matan, you know, to see women such as Rabbanit Malkabina having a dream, you know, of starting teaching Torah around her dining room table and saying, let's just open this up to all the women of Yushalayim. You know what? Let's open it up to the women of Renana, the women of Beit Shemesh, the women of, uh, of Yerucham, the women of the Sharon, and the excitement of of even having, you know, seeing your chazon lamo'ed of coming true and realizing that imtertu ain't zawagada. So that's certainly a role model in Limud and Asiya and Rabbanit Henkin and Baruch Hashem that we have, that we have such women in our yeah. midst. Dr. Brian Yochabed Levi, who really, who instilled me with a sense of, I would say, even not just integrity and Torah learning, but, you know, crossing every T, dotting every I, and making sure to look not only at classical parshanim, but I always told this day, Baruch Hashem can call her and say, I'm teaching this. You know, what, what Mikkel wrote, what sources would you look at? And being inspired to incorporate skills of one teacher and at the same time, you know, develop, develop on your own. I remember when she sat in on one of my classes, she said, okay, this is what 
I would have mentioned, you know, here and here, which you did. And it was so nice to see that you took this idea in a different direction and just that confidence and being able to, uh, again, instill in students and tell them that the goal is really, you know, to be able to, to be inspired by students as well. And uh, um, that, and I, uh, I think of all, all really colleagues and students that inspire me till today in many different ways. I often think about the fact that a generation today is, I don't know, maybe a maximum ten years. Sometimes I think generations are every five years. But you have, <laughs> you have in the past decades of teaching, seen a number of waves. You know, we'll, we'll change the word. It's not generation, but a number of waves of different learning phenomena well in the in the in the women's learning world. Um, and I guess I'm curious how you see them. What what are some of the waves that you think you have been witness to that you're seeing now? Um, what what changes have you seen in the past thirty years of teaching, or is that it, right? Something yes. like that. Yes, uh, twenty and second, twenty. Oh my, <laughs> twenty years. years. Yes. So, so what what have you seen, Shalom? So uh, just as you said, numerous changes. I think when, you know, first teaching both seminary students and adults from from a young age, the definitely going back 28 years or so, the the novelty of it, which meant both those that were coming to Israel for the year and adult education programs, whether it was generally, you know, classes, even adult education of 15, 20 women, and definitely with regard to uh, the students that would come and it was seen as an opportunity, as a tremendous opportunity to learn, which meant that there was a certain respect, a definitely a maximizing of time, a sense of of we're here because we have you know this both this opportunity and now a form through which we can advance into our learning. You know, you know what word so, comes to mind is is Simon, that there was there was a, there was a yeah, thirst, yeah, there was a real there was a thirst. thirst. I definitely count myself exactly. among those people of just, just which drop, you're very take lucky. Up every <laughs> drop that you can because this is yes. this is gold. Right. I remember not having to encourage students to spend their time in the Beit yeah. Midrash. It was, of course, they're going to be in the Beit Midrash, of, a little bit of a and gold, of course, a they're going golden era. I would even say. Exactly, 100%. And if you're saying a golden era, then it was a golden era with numerous goals in mind as well. Meaning people recognized what they were lacking and there was a desire, as you said, it's my own, a real thirst. Okay, I want to finish Tanakh. I want to understand this. Okay, if I uh, if I didn't you know, fully understand this in class, I'm going to run to the library now. I'm going to run to the Beit Midrash. I'm going to call the teacher afterwards and, and try to, you know, to, to compensate and, and to learn even more. And I think also in terms of relationships then, because it was a matter of really of guiding and at the same time, the goal was to just help provide them with the wings that they already have and see them fly. There was a, a sense of, of really of, of tremendous nachad. I, I can remember the truth is, I remember all my students, but I think those earlier years where and you, you had the sense that these are people who want to take everything they learn and just keep building. You know what we say even till today, this isn't, you know, a one-year opportunity. These are going to be the building blocks and you're going to see how this affects every aspect of your lives. When did you, when did you start to see that shift? So uh, exactly. I think about, I think about 10 years ago. Yeah. 
no more, meaning after 10 years. So about 18 years, 15 years ago, I started to see a shift. I think it became more the norm for people to study in Israel. I think also, thank God, numerous adult education, I think, was still still on the rise. Yeah. And more and more also people for coming. Those, for and those the very women, fact, it was still a novelty because they hadn't been it, part of and the it was. generations who got to do the exactly. learning in Israel. Exactly. And it also meant that they had to find the time. Women were only starting to take off little blocks of time from their careers, from raising their children. So uh, they were they were still maximizing. But I think the entire world, especially of, of the seminary world, became, uh, became, you know, okay, almost taken for granted, which meant that people weren't necessarily maximizing their time. It became, you know, a little, you know, I would say even more heterogeneous in terms of the year. It wasn't just about Torah learning anymore. It was about the Chavaya, the experience of coming to Israel, touring in Israel. Um, did you do you also did you also see that shift in the Israeli institutions that you were teaching in? Or was it not? So really the Israeli parallel? institutions was more it so everything was a few years behind in the Israeli, meaning both the the availability, meaning I, I think of Midrash at Lindemann, wherein the when I first started teaching there 28, 27 years ago, uh, there were many more Americans than Israelis who were coming to learn. And that shift really only started again about 15 years mm-hmm. ago. So the initial, I would say the Israeli programs for the first also 10 years or so, were bringing in the elite, the ones who genuinely wanted to learn Torah. And you can look at the Israeli teachers today, and I can tell you exactly who's from that initial yeah. generation. So yes, can you, okay. Anna, they're Baruch Hashem. They're the, the leading teachers in high schools and Midrasho today. And it's really been over the past I would say five to 10 years that, and many people have written about this, that because it's it's so expected and because everyone goes to Midrashah these days, that you don't have the same vigor, you don't have the same excitement. And I, that's what I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you, where do you still feel that, like, that sweet spot of, oh, that's the, that's yeah. the stuff that I grew up on. So for you, you feel yeah. like it's an adult education. Definitely, definitely. Again, I love, I love the the challenge of of building the next generation. It really is. I think Hakadosh Baruch every single day for that tzchut, and it's a real challenge. Yeah. And, and it's gotten harder time, over time. Hashem, is, what, is what you're saying? Oh, so much, yeah. so much. But and this has been a change in adult education. That thank God because it is more accessible, and. It's something that, as opposed to still taken for granted, I don't think adult education is still taken for granted because it means that you're sacrificing something, whether it's time with your children, whether it's uh, time from your career. And I mean this for women of all ages. And It's intentional. No matter what, it's intentional. Exactly. Which means that if I'm there, I'm going to, uh, I really, and I love, I love the women who say, okay, you know, we want to learn. We want to get, you know, learn the maximum. We want to start on time. We want to make sure that there aren't too many distractions. That's that and that's the nachat to know that uh, you're teaching what I have found though and this is what I think is a uh, tremendous opportunity and I as a result I think my teaching has changed a little in this regard that it used to be as we said going back 25 years of adult education okay we have so much that we have to compensate for we have to learn more we haven't learned these works now thank god you know there have been women then they have women in my classes who i've been learning with for for over 25 years baruch hashem and uh, firstly it's a wonderful opportunity for me because i try never to uh, to repeat a course never <laughs> to, to repeat, repeat a safer 
but um, but also to build off on that. And it's no longer about, okay, you know, do I have the the basics, the fundamentals or foundations of Jewish knowledge? Now I want to have the skills to be able to bring this to my family, to my community. So many of the conversations that I have with women, both in class, out of class, are how can we take this and and affect the world around us? So uh, it's remarkable to see how there still is idealism, you know, in the 18, 19 year olds. And I love that, but I'm seeing much more of an ideological trajectory in adult education. The greatest nachat, if I may say, is when I now and so many of the women that I teach in Matan were my students in seminary. And can you imagine yeah. really having having grown throughout these years in Torah learning? Okay, so with, with all that in mind and having really a, quite a picture of the trends that have uh, that have taken place over the past years, recognizing the faults and realities of the times we live in, um, and having that fully in mind, what, what would you like to see going forward in women's learning? So what I, I definitely, both in response to what we just spoke about and also in response to many of my students who have gone through both the, the seminary world and, and the world of Jewish you know, adult education, I think to get back to as much as we love the, the availability and the, I'm going to say the, almost the, again, the heterogeneous nature of teaching Torah, I think that we do have to work on creating more Torah leadership, right? And this time more than ever has really perhaps kind of resounded in our ears as to uh, to the lack of Torah leadership that we have. And I don't just mean Torah academic leadership and scholarship. Leadership in in Chutzarts you're speaking about, speaking about in Israel. And what what do you mean when you say leader? And what do you mean when you say leadership? So I mean Torah leadership. And I don't, uh, I don't, mean within the realm of psak halacha, you know, in, in that regard, think about the leaders that we've lost, right? When we think of our leaders and we think about them more and definitely, you know, poskim and gedolim batora, but when we say even gadol batora, we, we talk about their midot and we talk about their erudition and their understanding and their ability. You know, I think about Rabbi Sachs, who would be able to take advanced philosophical concepts and make them accessible to the layman without diluting them. And I think that we're, we're missing that rigorous Torah study that's required to edify leaders. And but so how do we, both, how do we know, go about through, doing that? If, if essentially we, what we're exactly. saying is that the people coming in now are not really so interested in that. Exactly. So I think that there still has to be, whether it's in different seminaries, you know, a a more rigorous track, whether it's creating more of those opportunities, being a little more selective, while at the same time, again, taking advantage of all the technology and making high level Torah learning. You know, Baruch Hashem, there are so many, you know, daily daily doses of Torah, of Nevi'im, of Ktuvim, of Dafyomi, of, uh, again, of so much. I think that we have to raise the bar. A little also. Thank God. You, you know that what I also think? You, you can't shortcut building moral, religious, and knowledgeable fiber. There, there is no shortcut. There will never be a shortcut to that in life. There will never. And I'm glad that you said moral, religious fiber, because I don't want it to be mistaken that I'm just speaking about, okay, programs wherein you, uh, you know, you learn all of Tanakh with no, uh, a background so to the Perushim. You, you mean a, a person who both represents Torah in their knowledge and in who they are as a human. Exactly. 
So firstly, I started this in Or Torah, and then Baruch Hashem together with Brian Levy and Dr. Jody Tobin and Matan to start this through Eshkolot. And the goal of such programs, whether it's Tanakh teachers training programs, whether you mentioned in uh, through Mizrahi, the Shalhevet Shlichim program, the Lapidot Women's Advanced Torah Learning, the Yoatzot Talachad. The goal is not just to learn, and as you said, without any shortcuts, meaning exams and projects and programs. Just as you said, how do you develop that personality, a moral personality, a sensitive personality, a clear personality, an inspiring personality? And that's where I see the only way that we're going to be successful with the next generation that's going to be all the more challenged with distractions and dilutions. The only way is if they have those role models, if they have those teachers. So that's where I find my my heart and my soul are much more invested in that now. Amazing. Okay, so I wanted to transition into our sort of final piece for today. I'm sure of the many, many texts and wisdom and midrashim and sukim that you come across, even on a daily basis. Uh, I want to ask you if there's something that stands out in your mind, um, even if just today, uh, but something that stands out in your mind as sort of a guiding light uh, for you, whether personally or professionally. If you're asking for a guiding light, and especially during these times, then uh, speaking also of role models and different mentors that I picture in my mind. So uh, I uh, I feel, and many of, uh, of those very close to me know that I feel very much inspired by Rabbi Akiva, both his, uh, his personality, his depth of Torah study, his ability to see the uh, the kutso shayud, the the tagging of the Torah, to be able to appreciate what's even beyond and in between the lines and the letters, and especially his vision. And I ask myself very often, okay, how would Rabbi Akiva see this right now? How would he see our corona times? And I think back at the Sovietians of Masechet Makot, Afraf Dalit, of Rabbi Akiva not being afraid amidst all of his peers. They're really his Rabbanim, you know, that he's with, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Elezer. And while everyone is crying, both upon hearing the celebration of the Romans and then ultimately the jackals, the Shualim, the foxes, running out of the Kodesh Katashim as they cry, and for good reason they're crying, Hazara Karebi Rabbi Akiva is able to burst forth with laughter. And uh, as they ask him why, and he incredulously asks them, you know, why are you crying? He's able to say because he lives and he breathes and he sees and he learns the psukim of the past. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up with a final little round. Okay, now um, these are associative questions, so you don't have to just whatever comes to your mind first. Okay. I'm going to ask you. A, a okay. Bunch I'm of getting nervous. Now. I feel like I'm on a game show host, you know, and okay. Hey, these are know, the we're, just, we're just going to end off with a little, a little personal, uh, personal note here. Okay. Shani, what book is currently on your nightstand or books? It's probably books. What oh, books? Uh, Exactly. It is books. So I always, obviously, I have my uh, my sitter next to me, my Ms. Moriti Lim, that that I say, and I keep a Penine Halacha by me or some of uh, Rabbi Mons Farim, I think. And it's very important. I teach my students this as well. I call it the 15 minutes of Halacha before you go to sleep. It keeps you halachically sensitive, halachically knowledgeable, and uh, also helps put you to sleep. Yeah. 
again at that basically again too (laughs) yes yes which is fine you'll see you'll see you'll just remember much more um I also I am in the middle I'm almost finished with Jordan Peterson and I'm enjoying that very much already you know thinking of you know taking notes I'm also a very very big David Brooks fan and reading Rabbi Sachs on morality right now is uh, his latest book, Becoming a Soulful Educator by um, Aryeh Ben David is fantastic. Quick read, but I always find that I'm, you know, even just reading a paragraph or two yeah. inspires me and reminds me, yes, what am I doing? How am I thinking? Making sure that these messages are internalized and that they're as thorough and comprehensive as possible. And a wonderful book that I just, uh, I really, I have to say, I have to take this one off because I just finished it, recommended by a colleague in my Tanya Leibowitz, Trespassing, Trespassing on Einstein's Law, Lawn by uh, oh, yeah, 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 Amanda something. I can't remember last name, but phenomenal story of a, again, really more biographical. I, I also, I love historical novels, but this is more biographical and relates to my scientific side. She's a physicist who speaks about her relationship with her father, really on a personal level, but also through study of of science. So that's the Einstein's wow. lawn okay. component. So I recommend that to everyone. This is a very, it's a very a long bedtime routine. Okay. Who would you like to sit down with for coffee? Wow. So this is an easy one because last summer, last summer, if I may just say, meaning the summer before I was, I was teaching at Camp Pask um, in, in, upstate New York, and there was a panel also of educators, and I was asked this question, and without a blink, really without a blink, I said right away, it was right after, it was a few weeks after, a very close friend and colleague had passed away, and now, almost uh, two years later, I can say the same, that I would sit down with a cup of coffee, meaning, yes, with Rabbi Kiva, with the Rambam, but and I, I wouldn't be drinking the coffee, not that I do like to drink coffee, but uh, but to really just sit down with uh, Dr. Abigail Rock and yeah, uh, tell her, express a tremendous to her for so much that she has taught me, that she's taught on Israel to ask her for, for insights. Amazing. Your favorite tefillah, prayer. I, I'm just going to share this, that I would always interview students and ask them the same question, Yosefa, what's your favorite tefillah? And most of them would say, we thank Hashem. And I said, yes, but we thank Hashem in so many different aspects of life. I thank Hashem, you know, all the time. Asher Yatsar, so many different brachot. But uh, seven years ago, I, uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and um, little knocks on the head <laughs> like that remind you to appreciate every single bracha in life. And during that time, I came across a beautiful story of the Chafetz Chaim, of whom it said that when he would say modim, he would stay in the modim position for about half an hour. And I remember thinking, wait a second, we we get up when we say Shem Hashem. So he was he was in a modim position, and literally bent over, appreciating his submission and his thanksgiving takadosh baruch when he said modim anachnu who for five five words. And I realized, wow, because we have so much to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for. So I took upon myself every time I say modim, literally three times a day. I don't get up. I, I haven't made it to a half an hour, but again, I'm not consciously. I don't get up until I can really think about the greatest brachot in my life. Something people think about you that isn't true. Oh, my. That I don't sleep. I do sleep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
too. <laughs> okay. No, but that's, it's a good one because I thought you didn't sleep either. You see? Okay. So I won't tell, my, tell you how many hours, but I do sleep. Right. Baruch Hashem. And everyone should sleep. And uh, scientists are realizing more and more how sleep is connected to uh, so many uh, different phenomena, whether yeah. it's the lack thereof and sicknesses. So everyone should sleep. Okay. Yes. So you, you find some hours in there sometime. Um, you have any hidden talents, Shani? We, we're very aware of your of your non-hidden talents. I'm curious if you have any any hidden ones. And in ones, so I don't know if you know that I danced ballet for 12 years, and oh. uh, I uh, I love love uh, more classical dancing now. <laughs> I get to express it in any way other than yoga. I really I uh, I love and enjoy, and think yoga is very strengthening and and healthy, especially reminding us to breathe. Yeah. Okay, Shani. For our last question for this conversation, something that you're grateful for right now in your life. Well, what am I not grateful for? And I mean that. I really, I, I thank Hakadosh Baruch Hu for for everything. And I know that that's difficult to say right now, but there's so much, so much goodness, so much goodness in people, so much goodness. Again, and with all the problems, and with all, I have to be honest, this lack of achdut is tearing me apart personally. And then there are these little glimpses of and the brachot everywhere, you know, through through the trees. You were speaking about being mindful before. Let's be mindful of what's right in front of us. And when we see those brachot, then we can't help but literally burst out nishmat kochai to to sing the praises of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So thank you for well, asking that. I I want to tell you that I'm really I'm really grateful for this conversation and for this opportunity. The to have time to, to sit with you and, and hear from you and hear your, your thoughts about yourself and about all the teaching that you've, that you've done. And you have, I'm sure that you know this, but your work has touched so many people and you are a guiding light for so many women and, and families all, all around the world. So I just want to say thank you in the name of, of all those who I'm sure are listening to every last word that you're sharing. Uh, thank you for, for bringing all that to Amistro. It's really, really appreciated. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I am Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Thank you to Sofia Vindish for producing this episode and the entire Matan team for their input. Please do one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and Matan's website and write us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.